everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of A Good Story Starts With. Today, I have like the best pastor I've ever had, and one of my good friends as well, um, Alana, joining us from all the way in Queenstown, New Zealand. So, welcome, Alana. Oh, it, it is an absolute privilege, and it's so great um, to get to speak to you and spend some time um, just catching up and talking about all things. Yeah. So, like, I've kind of done a mini introduction about you, but um, previously one of my other guests, Rowan, he asked me the question of, like, who are you? And not necessarily what I do, but whose do I belong to? And I would like to ask that question to you. Who are you and whose do you belong to? Um, I, I, it's an interesting question because I think – the older I get, having turned 40 this year, uh, whoop, whoop. The, more, <laughs> the more I realise uh, I'm still learning about myself. Um, and I think that's the beauty of a little bit of hindsight. I wouldn't say I have a lot because I think I'm only halfway through uh, life. So I think, yeah, uh, who am I? I'm still enjoying the learning process. And with that, I guess the second part of that question is, uh, whose am I? Uh, I have been a Christian and a lover of Jesus since, gosh, as early as I can remember. Um, I'd say like I had an official uh, give your life to Jesus moment when I was 13, but grew up going to church and um, being in that environment of faith since I was young. So, yeah. That's so cool. And um, how did you guys end up moving to Queenstown? Because from memory, you grew up in Auckland. I did. I grew up uh, north of Auckland, which is a very different yeah. uh, I grew up on the Whangaparapa, which is about an hour north of Auckland. Uh, and, well, much less now with the motorways and what have you. Uh, and, yeah, I... Yeah, I just often say I moved from one paradise to another because it's got beautiful beaches and Queenstown is just as stunning. That's so pretty. And how long have you guys been in Queenstown now? Uh, nine and a half years, yeah. So we're almost considered locals. That's apparently, you know, the 10-year mark. Yeah, oh my, yeah, in Queenstown that is considered local. <laughs> yeah. yeah it is. Man, like, so what? how do you spend your days in Queenstown? Uh, at the moment, I am still have the privilege of being able to be a bit of a stay-at-home mum with our um, three incredibly awesome kids and, yeah, also work at church and then little hustles on the side that I like to, yeah, doing. So it's quite cool. Yeah. Would you mind talking about the hustles that you excitedly just said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm... Yeah, so I have, uh, Andrew and I have had a little property management business that we've had on the side as we've obviously COVID and no travel has been a, um, that has kind of petered out. And then uh, I do a fair bit of um, volunteer work with our local community, which I love being able to contribute to. So I was on the founding um, board of Baskets of Blessings, which is an amazing charity that provides uh, food and gift hampers and things for people in need and then I yeah having resigned from that position last year I've taken up another 
NGO trustee position for a new organisation um, called Pivotal Point. Yeah, helping uh, Farnell with uh, neurodiversity in their families. So that's kind of a brief description. Wow, that's really cool. Like, how how did you get into this like NGO that helps uh, Farnell, which is like family in Tereo, to the listeners who are not from New Zealand? Um, and yeah, how did you get? Uh, I think overall. I'm generally very passionate about people achieving their purpose and their passion. And I love championing championing people, whatever it might be. Uh, And so that kind of goes across pastoring. uh, It goes across, um, you know, helping our kids and their friends, and then also um, contributing to the community. So I've always been passionate about those things and helping with startups and things like that and events and bits and pieces. So one of my friends from a coffee group uh, was up, you know, this frustration that she had with her own children and then how they were helping fund um, another family who couldn't afford to get assessments for their children Um, because Queenstown's particularly unique um, in terms of the DHB, which you will know (laughs) in the industry that you are in. So they're under two different regions. So it becomes quite complicated for families to get the help that they need for their kids uh, and everyone on the same page. So this trust effectively pulls all of those resources together, is going to help educate teachers um, and educators to and what to look for for neurodiversity. Yeah, and just making neurodiversity, uh, you know, like mental health, it's something that we can talk about openly. Um, these things are not inhibitors, they are things that um, are beautiful in the different ways that um, humans are made and how they function. And we're not designed to be normal, we're designed to be who God's made us to be. So yeah, it's really cool to be in that space and to help my friend um, with her startup trust. That's kind of it. That is so amazing. Um, Like that's the first I've heard of a trust that specifically helps parents from like the ground up from when their kids are really young and to be able to like put um, like structures in place to allow neurodivergent kids to flourish and to grow and to become who God has created them to be and not limit them, but actually give them a jump start on how to do life well. That's amazing. Yeah. That is absolutely Yeah, stunning. it's a wraparound support. So it's mm. being, um yeah, neurodiverse friendly environments and schools as well. So it's very cool. Yeah. So what does a neurodivergent like friendly environment look like in schools and in the homes? Uh, I think it's just about understanding. I think a lot of the medical industry can uh, paint a picture with words that is very um, deficit orientated. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is uh, dis or, you know, unable, disabled. Uh, Mm. And so when parents have, like us, our family, uh, we have children who have differences. Mm -hmm. We see all of the beauty and wonder that is in these amazing human beings because you're with Mm -hmm. them. And then when you come to the medical profession particularly, it's hard to navigate because everything, every form you fill out, every assessment you go to, Mm. structure which is required you know for 
the basis of diagnosis, but it can be very daunting and disheartening. So mm. have that wraparound support and encouragement. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah. They, Did you yeah. – sorry? Let's, let's follow that. You know, you know, parents know their kids the best. Agreed. Agreed. Did you – did you find any, like, not necessarily roadblocks, but um, the opposite of roadblocks of people who helped you on your journey to figuring out how to support uh, a neurodivergent child? Uh, or what, what was the catalyst that led you to meet up with your friend? Yeah, so it's a it's a combined com- uh, story, actually, mm. why we moved to Queenstown and then um, how we became to be in that space. So uh, we moved to Queenstown to um, start a C3 church here, which is how we met, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we were moving, we had all of our stuff packed up in this big U-Haul trailer. Um, we were staying at a family's holiday house and our wee son, Ruben, was having um, his bottle, his seven months old, and he started to have these weird spasm kind of fit situation go on oh wow obviously that as parents that's not great and we were like no no No, it is not uh pack up our family and get on the road at like 5 30 in the morning to get from one side of Auckland to the other without traffic Mm, and luck and I was I just remember thinking um you know this is surely this is the enemy like trying to do something and get in the way of what we're trying to do. And it was mm. many things um, that, you know, God doesn't call you and then you don't have obstacles in anything in life, really. Um, so that was one of the things that we then journeyed once we got into Southland, um, took Ruben to the GP and he would put on was put on steroids and then a whole bunch of investigation was done for him. Mm. So the... Somewhat diagnosis is that he has deletions and duplications on chromosome 15. Mm-hmm. Is primarily uh, around uh, fine motor skills and um, speech uh, orientation, uh, different things like that. But then after he had an MRI, the uh, pediatric neurologist's diagnosis is that he had a stroke in utero. So the interesting thing is that the things both both of those things um, manifest in the same way. So his left side has had a bit of a delay. His speech has had a delay, which is obviously a stroke. Um, mm-hmm. And so the therapy for those things is occupational therapy, speech and language, physio. Um, and then because he was a baby when all of this was kind of discovered, uh, he was under... Um, early intervention and care. So that was, yeah, really good, really cool for him to have that um, and then just learn about all of the different things and the ways that, um, yeah, he's an amazing human and made by God. So it's really cool. Yeah, I love the way that you've reframed this whole story in the sense of like you could have, devolved into a massive fear narrative but the way that you've spoken about the story and the way that you've narrated it back to us there there was a deep sense of hope there was a deep sense of like strength that came out of that and I just want to like commend you for that because like 
I I think other people would have written this as a fear-based story, and I really do commend you on seeing the beauty, the strength, the wonder, the glory, and the love within that. Has that always been true of you, of like you've always reframed it in that regard, or did you learn how to move from a fear-based mindset to a growth mindset? Yeah, I think that the Word of God is very powerful, and I think when you start to uh, have that um, beating in your senses, Mm. uh, there's no other – well, there is a choice. There's a choice to go to fear or there's a choice to um, remain steadfast. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't have time to delve into all of my childhood and (laughs) what would make me uh, – uh, go to God's love and his steadfastness over fear. I think that that is a practice. Um, I think that what I've learnt in the different trials that we've faced um, is that uh, Jesus understands, doesn't matter where you're at, and knowing that he understands, you can stop and take a moment, take a breath, and just be like, okay, God, what are what are you wanting to do in this what and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is just so phenomenal. And I remember sitting in the hospital room, um, holding Reuben and just praying over him, um, you know, that he was strong and courageous. You're strong and courageous. And this is this little, you know, eight month old baby and I just I didn't know what the future would hold. I didn't know what I needed to grieve yet for the future. We went through varying things. We mm. thought he was also partially deaf. Um, the doctor was very adamant about what the side effects would be from the medication if um, if the steroids didn't work. There'd be a 50-50 chance of him going blind. Um, so, yeah, there was some fun stuff. I remember the paediatrician saying to me, hey, um, you're, you're very calm. <laughs> And, wow. yeah, I just knew then, I just knew that God was with us. And, you know, Scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear and his love is perfect. And one of our uh, favourite family scriptures um, is God didn't give us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. Mm-hmm. It's important to remember when you're – because your mind – I'm not saying my mind doesn't go crazy and – have fear mm. associated with different situations. Um, yeah. But you have to, you've got faith as a foundation and God is steadfast. Mm. Yeah. Amen. How have you guys as a family rounded around Reuben and fostered like both sibling love um, and sibling understanding in that regard. Cause when you said family scriptures and obviously like I've been, um, I was about to say I've lived with you guys, but I didn't, but I've like walked alongside you guys uh, for a long time. <laughs> yeah. To be able to like notice how you guys function and work as a family. And I found that really beautiful. Uh, I think I remember telling you like, Hey, like the way you and Andrew speak to one another and the way that your relationship works, I was like, when I get into a relationship, I'm knocking on your door because the level of high sass, high respect and high love that you two embody, I'm like, yes. yes yeah, I would have to say that's a trial by fire. 
<laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's it. It's, yeah. Mm. When Angela and I met, we had varying and difficult childhoods. So we'd all faced mm-hmm. a lot of trauma and come to God through those circumstances. And then I think you just have a greater grace and understanding for people and for circumstances. I mean, I'm not saying I don't get peeved off at things. I am the first one to be like, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, and maybe that's the other part of it is just being, you know, honest and transparent um, and just really good communication. I think that's what it comes down to. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and my my first question that that got lost in the second question was how did you, how did the family round up, or was that the trial by fire answer? Uh, no, the relationship fire. Dif- different things you go through in your marriage. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd say definitely uh, help. Uh, yeah, foster those. Well, they they don't have to. Some people um, break up with things like this. Mm. So it was a choice for us, so we communicated that with each other. Um, and, yeah, for Ruben, uh, another part of our story is that um, we actually have four children. Mm-hmm. So Violet, she um, passed away by, well, graduated heaven is what I like to say. Mm-hmm. When she was nearly three years old, we'd moved to Queenstown uh, and we had planted the church. The church had been running for nine months. We were dealing with Ruben's health requirements and all of his different, we call them the girlfriends, all the different um, therapists that would come and visit the house. Uh, and, yeah, we used to live in uh, Calvin Heights, which is right by the water, by the lake, and she, our daughter Violet, uh, wandered off and she, yeah, had accidentally drowned. Um, I'm so sorry. Which, yeah, as you did know that. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a lot. Yeah, a little side note. It is a lot when you start to explain it to people and for listeners. You know, when you hear something like that for the first time, uh, it's it's a lot to take in. Um, mm. Our family has walked through in addition to um, Ruben's um, health conditions. So, again. Uh, that steadfast love of God, the peace of God. Andrew describes it um, like being in a vat of honey, uh, <laughs> feeling that warmth and that the density of his love um, mm. is just phenomenal. Our community and the body of Christ just wrapped, wrapped around us so deeply and so lovingly. It was just incredible. People mm. came there. The food, the you know, southern hospitality in the states definitely is a thing in this in Southland. We had months and months of support um, with meals and food, and um, yeah, when we when the the grief of that of losing a, a daughter and well, she's not lost; she's just in heaven. Mm-hmm. And then you know, trusting God through the process for our children um that has helped them um be gracious to Reuben as well so 
they have a huge capacity um, and empathy um, for people and we just took the time you know when you plant a church there's a lot of like great advice out there about how to go about it and be quite driven and do all those sorts of things so we were only nine months in to our ministry journey and we just decided to um, keep keep pastoring because we knew that God had called us to that um, your call doesn't change despite your circumstances that burden Mm-hmm. And you uh, will not go away <laughs> when the storms come, no matter how bad they are. Uh, and we were given the option. We, Our pastors, our oversight, um, Pastor Phil and Chris, were like, hey, we understand if you guys want to walk away. Like, um, But we, were, we knew that we were called to be in Queenstown. We knew that God had a purpose in that. And, but we were also prepared mm-hmm. to take the time for our family um, to take to walk through the different parts of grief with our kids when it came up and just wait on God in those moments. And they are just so beautiful, the relationship and the tightness and unity in our family because of um, going through that has been just phenomenal. I mean, we've got teenagers now. Jacob's nearly 15 and Al's 13 and Ruben's nearly 10. So, wow, they're just humans, and I just love them to bits. And they've got such an incredible future ahead of themselves. So yeah, I'm excited for them, but I'm very pleased that we just trusted the Holy Spirit. We just took it slow. Um, yeah, and we had an incredible team. Some of our team are still with us now, and we just couldn't do life and ministry. Mm without those people who we would call family now. And I love what God's yeah. done. And it's just so, oh, it can get me teared up. <laughs> That's okay. We can cry. I cry all the time. <laughs> I, oh, amazing, because God's just so restorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, no, I, I knew I would cry. <laughs> That's and tears are most welcome. Um, it is a safe place and we will hold you in, um, in those tears. Cause I think like there is the beauty of sharing stories, the beauty of recounting the goodness of God, um, reminds you of the goodness of God all over again. Um, and you're just like, wow, like God, you're actually amazing to carry us through deep grief. Because mm. this is this is a lot, um, like, yeah. and for you to see his faithfulness and his unshakability in the midst of that, it's like I can trust you. Like you can, you can hold the the the, the deepest, heaviest things in my life, and you don't shatter them, and you don't like you don't squeeze too hard or you don't shatter them on the floor. And I just think that's really beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing um, that. I think a lot of our listeners will, will, will take hope and courage from that. So thank you. Um, Yeah. um, It just, it just feels like a moment of a holy pause really from that moment. Um, Cause yeah, just, Mm. just beautiful. With your team in Queenstown, like obviously when 
the Southern hospitality was amazing. Um, how else did they help you in being, I guess, pillars of strength that were able to point you to be like, hey, you can you can shatter in this moment. Like you can fall down in this moment. Uh, how did they, like, what am, what am I trying to say? Um, I'm trying to ask those people who became family, how, what characteristics do they exhibit to help you? Yeah, I think when you're doing anything like ministry or church, you, you want like-minded people. So are very mm-hmm. loyal, you know, sometimes to a fault. But when those kinds of people came around us we, who were spirit-filled, a number of them had already been through trials themselves, so losing children, but mm. um, been through difficult things and had that loyal and steadfast character already kind of built in. And then I've noticed that mm-hmm. we tend to attract people that are like that as well or who need that, who need um, or that steadiness. So, uh, yeah, and without going into too much detail, the church in Queenstown's had a bit of a hard time. Uh, the body of Christ has had, yeah, some some rough seasons. So we made a commitment um, to, you know, be here until, you know, our last kid was off at uni. So we've still got a good another eight years. If God willing, that's what he where he wants mm. us to be. So... Um, I yeah, I definitely see the people that started with us who are still with us continuing on, uh, but seeing more like-minded people gather um, who really just love God um, and want to see people saved and restored and um, on the path of what God's called them to do is beautiful. So working together as the body, as um, the fivefold, to be able to do that is yeah, a real privilege to do that with others can't have one without the other you can't have leadership without um you know the other giftings we all need no I'm, I'm with you I'm with you um this this is a random question but um go hit me how do you stay soft because I'm thinking of like when people hear this story and what you've been through like in my head, I'm thinking they would they would genuinely be flabbergasted of how you stay soft, how you stay hopeful, um, and I, and yeah, like mm. how do you? Good ministry friends who are not part of our church. <laughs> we ha- we have a tribe, uh, yeah, and uh i think that's the key having really good people who get you who you can just be like ah it's all falling to pieces or this happened and mm. just be so real with who aren't going to judge you who aren't going to be like oh well, you need to you know have 20 sessions of counseling which counseling is mm-hmm. awesome but as a woman you just need to just verbally process you need to offload it and as a pastor, you really can't do that on your congregation or your team. That's not how. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, yeah. And I think in any um, high pressure, people orientated work, that's a really healthy practice is to have really good 
friendships and a type of oversight, I guess, but it's not got any authority tied mm. to it. Or doesn't have discipline you. Um, so I think having those relationships has been absolutely key. And those don't come easily. Those, you know, you, you have to be intentional with those and work on those. Um, and also be there for those people because you can't just phone or hang out and dump everything on them. You have to be there for yeah. them as well. So yeah. it's those relationships. Um, kick back and have a wine and a laugh and not take yourself too seriously is really important. Which I know our congregation and people in the community here know that we're like that anyway. We're very mm-hmm. relational and we love kind of doing the journey. So, yeah, that's probably one of the main things is having a really good network of amazing women that I get to talk to, um, not only in the C3 movement, but, yeah, just other really great pastor friends. Yeah, and I think when you're – I've just been through a season of this recently, so I can talk to it quite mm. well. <laughs> uh, humility is what it comes mm. down to. Um, when your pride becomes too inflated, you need to realise, you know, who you're serving and what you're doing mm. uh, and that some of the things that can get caught up in – uh, a modern uh, church culture and expression mm. is necessarily the way that Jesus lives or the example that we're supposed to lead by. So uh, I think it's really important for people to read their Bible and understand who Jesus if they say that they follow him. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounded like a very specific like story that you you're hinting there. <laughs> like, would you would you mind talking about that story? I just find it interesting that people who say that they're followers of Jesus tend to do the opposite to what he So I'd say that's probably something that frustrates me the most. Um, yeah, that people will be um, full of pride and judgmental. With the shoe on the other foot, though, it's, I know that, you know, like what the scriptures say, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of others that, that's where the holy spirit's like yeah but what about xyz and i'm like ah oh, you're right i'm sorry <laughs> like what i have to look at my own life too what is this <laughs> <laughs> oh that's the lead by example okay all right <laughs> oh you meant that literally oh <laughs> what's even more interesting is when you have teenagers and they know their word as well they you know, say it back at you. I'm like, oh, I trained you too well. (laughs) (laughs) It's very humbling. Um, Yeah. I think humility is, it's not weakness. It's uh, just a beautiful space to honour people and honour God. So, yeah. No, totally. Um, How, because I know... (laughs) This is going to sound super like simple, but I know you are a pastor and you're a woman. How did, how did you navigate the space in between those things? Because there is uh, one half of the body of Christ that's like 
yeah, no, that's never going to happen. Like that should not happen. Uh, they cite Titus two and um, ten a tendency to be like, yeah, complementarian is the way to go, and this is what it applies to within a church structure as well. And then you have the other side of the coin that's like, no, like let's look at the whole council of scripture and comes to the conclusion that women can be pastors as well. Like, how did you? navigate the space between female and pastor. Sure. So when I was, um, it goes way back when I was, I was frustrated with being in the, um, different, uh, I went to a couple of different churches as a young woman. I was already running the like Christian events in high school. Um, I wanted to, I knew that I was called of God to do something significant for him. And I couldn't see the opportunity to do that in a couple of the churches that I'd been involved with. Um, so I actually started going along. I followed a boy in a band to youth service. In, uh, and that was what's known as Primal Youth Church, which was a youth church movement through C3 in hmm. the um, late 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> I know, history. Uh, and in that space, uh, I saw these amazing young women, you know, speaking, leading worship, leading groups. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, to a friend who was uh, actually an ex-boyfriend, um, who was a youth pastor as well. I said, why are there no women? Like, it's really frustrating. I know that there's a theological basis for that, but there's still, you know, in today's context, there should still be space for influence. Uh, You know, why is the church so far behind in this? Mm. And he was very adamant. He was like, well, if you're frustrated, then God's clearly calling you into that space. You need to do it. Why don't you do it? I was like, ugh, okay. (laughs) All right. So, uh, in my community, I wrote a letter to all of the churches and I was like, hey, um, I'm really passionate about working with my, well, my friends and the young people in our community. Um, what can you really, you know, do you want to come and come on board? I, we need like a drop in center or something that's more relevant um, for our young people who uh, are just, we used to have the most spectacular parties. Mm-hmm. Like, turf wars between the coast and the north shore like it was uh, riot squads and helicopters it was full on so i was like this is the 90s early 2000s oh my god (laughs) for teenagers go (laughs) that is fun and uh not binge drinking Mm. (laughs) and i wrote all these letters to the churches and my parents were like Oh, my mum was like, yeah, let's, you know, see what happens, put it out there. And uh, I got three responses out of about 25 letters to different, to all, all different denominations. I didn't care mm. where, where it happened with. Um, and I got a couple of replies uh, that were just well wishes. And then, yeah, one reply was a well wish. One, one reply was a good luck with that um, down the road trying to reach drunk teenagers and we don't think it's going very well. (laughs) And I got a phone call from the pastor of the church with the drunk teenagers. (laughs) And that was the C3 um, 
see through Hibiscus Coast, which um, was, yeah, just a really cool place to be. They, yeah, um, Pastor Mike phoned me up and he said, hey, this is what we're doing. We run this drop-in place. Um, kids can come in at any time and they can't be super smashed or wasted. So they do a, um, you know, sober test outside, walk the, walk the line and come inside um, and have some free fruit toast and play PlayStation and pool. And it's just this real, he just described this real cool vibe and it was called Hangout. Mm. And I was like, amazing. And he's like, oh, we don't um, evangelize outright. We believe in friendship evangelism. So you can come along and check it out. So I went along with a couple of friends who had been going to another church with and there's this really awesome guy who comes rocking around the corner with this like blonde mullet, ripped jeans and cherry docks. And I was like, yeah, I, this, remember this is the 90s. <laughs> I was like, I can get behind this. Life, um, Victoria, they were just fun. They respected each other. They... Um, saw the best in people, gave they really gave me a go. And I as a young person, as a youth leader, I really stuffed up a lot, mm. a number of <laughs> So they were just really gracious and really kind of honoured the call of God that they could see. And then they called it out in me. So they were like, hey, why don't you try this or do this or do that? So, yeah, it was just the most amazing supportive environment that I found myself in being in the C3 movement. Mm. And having those examples of um, amazing women um, in the movement who were always given the opportunity to speak and lead um, was, like you say, the two sides of the coin was definitely on the ladder of the, hey, that's cultural context. Um, Women in today's day and age, they do have influence and do hear from God, can move in spiritual gifts. Yeah. help build the church. Um, and C3's always given women that space. And I feel like a lot of other Pentecostal movements that have, you know, birthed out of the Jesus movement in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So um, you can, I think when you've got movements that have been birthed from that era with women's rights and feminism and all those sorts of things, there's, there's a, hey, how can we honour women in the way that Jesus did? Mm-hmm where it moves as well. When people ask me that question generally, I say, well, you know, are we reading Acts when the Holy Spirit moved on men and women? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in the upper room, they were all together, and that's the birth of the church. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's my theological basis. Mm-hmm. And then just amazing things that Jesus did with women and how they followed him. And Yeah. Yeah. A great, great example. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, because... um. I've been in various churches that leaned towards like uh, female pastors and up until about a year ago now, I was in a church that was very much like, you know, women aren't like are allowed to like lead women's groups or lead um, kids church and stuff like that. But the pulpit was something that was reserved for males and then they voted for women to be invited. and then. Um, coronavirus hit so (laughs) yeah I think that's really hard um place to kind of navigate from a theological point of view because those scriptures are fairly adamant and they don't have a lot of context around Mm -hmm. them 
around um, women influencing men. Um, I yeah, I I know that there, I think there will always be a tension in that space, mm-hmm. and I always say to people or how I try to advise our team together with Andrew, we say, well, what is the to what end do we agree to disagree? So no, to what end do we need to be right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my mm-hmm. point. Are, are you so fearful of a woman influencing you the wrong way in mm. God? Like, what is yeah? What is the the fear? And just calling out those kinds of things, um, and just saying, hey, you know, the most important thing is unity in relationship, and we can amicably agree to disagree on theology, on even down to some moral issues, um, and the way that things are um, panned out you know, different things that go through different parliaments. What end are we arguing? Is is the enemy getting a win because we're dividing over something? <laughs> when, you know, be in unity, in love, in Christ, um, and those things are just, you know, opinions. Yeah. No, I, I agree mm-hmm. with that. Because there is, there is that tension of, like, exactly what you said, of, like, a need to be right. Um, and then, and I think Paul said it well, of like, you can have all the knowledge and all the theological dogma that you can have, but if you don't, and the theological orthodoxy, but if you don't have the orthopraxy of being rooted in love, then like, what's the point? Mm. What's the point? Um, segueing into like creative pursuits that you enjoy, um, what, what are the creative pursuits that you enjoy? Well, I do quite enjoy a little bit of abstract painting. I, mm. Yeah, I try to make time for that. Although I'm an all or nothing kind of person, I think. So it takes over the living room and then <laughs> not cooked. Um, but yeah, going a little bit back to why I'm involved with the neurodiversity NGO is because I'm 100% convinced I'm ADHD. Uh, as a child, I never got tested, but I exhibit all the um, symptoms mm. of yeah, inactive ADHD. Uh, so that's not hyperactive, you know, like the 12-year-old boys who get in trouble for jumping on the roof at school. It's, uh, mm. it's Yeah, and, and girls, it's much harder to pick up. So my creativity side of things, I mm. just become hyper-focused on that stuff, and I'm all in, all over it mm-hmm. for, like, days and then I won't go back to it to like for like another month or so yeah no I I feel that a little bit um, like, like, yeah, but, yeah yeah I have to be intentional about it because I know I love it mm-hmm. so good for my soul and yeah, yeah I try to and going and seeing art which is very limited in Queenstown so whenever we go away I'm always like okay we need to culturize my family (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness this leave over summer we took a couple of months off Mm -hmm. such an amazing time we spent um christmas and new year with friends and family and then we took the kids to wellington Mm -hmm. we are staying in cuba street because our kids need culture (laughs) they need some diversity and they need to understand not everything looks like Queenstown and the rest of the world. 
Yeah, because Queenstown is quite unique in that regard of being oh, clean. We're like a tourist mecca and everything gets cleaned and polished. Yeah, one of the kids was flabbergasted. They got um, uh, chewing gum stuck to their shoe walking down the street. I'm like, yeah, this is the city. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> Breathe it in. Okay. And the sounds. Yeah, it was really cool. So they had a great time. And so we went to all the different ex- ex- exhibitions. And um, one of my favorite things to do, which they hate, they're like, oh, mom, is to, I always love to go to secondhand bookshops and always find something good. Mm-hmm. Secondhand bookshops are great. Are you reading any interesting books at the moment that you would recommend? I'm not. I am in a little bit of a podcast zone at the moment bit busy so I like to have the earbuds in and do what I'm doing listening on yeah one 1. 1.5 <laughs> yeah um so one of the first podcasts that I listened to was Jefferson Bethke and um you can't listen to him at 1.5 yeah. because he he talks at 1.5 normally. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> there are a few that you need to just actually listen. Yeah. Hey, he's one of them. But, no, but that's really cool. Um, we have come to the part where it's your turn to ask questions of me. Um, the general gist at the moment is that uh, a lot of people have been like, one question is not enough, so we're going to go for two. So... <laughs> So you, it's up to you. You can either choose to ask one question or two. Oh, man, thank you so much for your patience. Um, to the listeners, we just had, like, a major glitch that could have resulted in all of this footage being lost, but it wasn't. So praise God. Um, praise God. Uh, so Alana, just before it asked me, uh, how, how do I manage um, the friendships that I have as – because I've moved around a lot. and um, it's realizing that there's some friendships that are just simply there because I'm in that city and honoring that and not looking upon this friendship ending as like a bad thing, but being like, Hey, for what they were, they were really beautiful and they were really amazing. And I honor that. And for the ones that have lasted a long time, uh, whether in terms of like they're longer than five years, those are the ones that even though we don't speak to each other every single month or every single day, I know that when I ring them, we pick up where we left off. And the reason why those ones work the best is exactly what you said before, like um, your vibe attracts your tribe. Uh, those people that I'm able to like link in back with quickly, they are highly loyal. They le- lead very busy lives as well, but they still take the time to be intentional about the friendship that we have and honoring that. And because I intentionally choose people that I genuinely think are, are like, smarter than me like or better than me because I like surrounding myself with people who, in terms of skill set or anything like that, are completely different from me because that means that their point of view and the way of viewing the world is different, but those – that 
there's some core similarities of like, hey, we choose to be loyal, we choose to be respectful, we choose to be loving, and the majority of those as well are like, hey, we choose to honour God as well. So, And I think it's yeah. always really cool when you have people in your life that you can learn from. Don't know, you know, we don't know everything yet. <laughs> uh, and to just, it helps you and stimulates you. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So... Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Um, it's yeah, been a real privilege and an honour. So thank you for creating this space. Um, thank you. The, the other guests that you have and the other musings that you have, I've really enjoyed what you've uploaded so far. So thank you. Yeah.